Today on the pod, we get a sneak peek of our next episode. Yeah, and you've clearly given us our next topic, which is church planting as a pyramid scheme. The acts of God in raising up a core group. The ones that have gone to places where they didn't know anybody, they have said time and time again, it's amazing the people that God raised up out of nowhere. And Josh offers me some encouragement. I would suggest you finding another occupation altogether, Read at this point. Welcome to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast. We are so glad that you are listening. Before we jump into our topic today, which is the significance, importance of forming a core group and how you form a core group, I wanted to mention the 242 Renew Conference that is April 18th through the 20th, being held at Independent Presbyterian Church in Memphis. I believe the Cost is $100 or less if you're single. I think it's around $150 if you are a couple. Uh, We're encouraging wives to come. There are workshops. There are speakers. Uh, It's going to be a wonderful time, a great time, a good gathering. Hope that you can make it. I believe that participation is limited to around 150 people. If you would, or if you have any interest in coming to this, you can email mid south pca network at gmail.com that's mid south pca network at gmail.com we would love to see you there again our topic today is the importance of gathering a core group when you start a church and how you do that my co-host is josh kinds he's planning Paris Church in Lafayette, Louisiana, and in many respects, what Josh has done there is a scratch plant, if you will. And so, really, I'm going to begin with the first question today for Josh, and that is... But just before that, we wanted to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners. Our calling is freeing you to pursue your call to plant. Find out how at auxilio.partners slash... Five points. When you moved there and you did not know anyone, how did you go about gathering your core group? Yeah, well, there, there's obviously a process. Anybody that moves in a, to any new area, there's generally, if, if you're having some kind of an oversight from some kind of a presbytery committee or something, you're generally going to have a uh, how you know either a short or long list of people that have some you know one two or three off connection uh, to the you know to your particular denomination to individuals in your uh, particular churches in our case the Presbyterian Church and the Presbytery um, and so generally you'll get a, a short list of those and those are some some great initial contacts to make. Uh, I would say that's the list you want to be most careful with um, because the, <laughs> uh, you, you don't know what you're getting into. I mean, the list that mm-hmm. I had was pretty long, and uh, I would tell you maybe 30% of that list were, were viable um, individuals. And by viable, I mean they were uh, either one genuine, you know, prospects of folks that might actually be inter- interested in the church coming to that area or 
Um, two, they were viable in the sense that they weren't going to be people who submarined a new church plant from day one because they had exactly their plan on what a church is supposed to be from day one. And so uh, you weed through those really carefully and really quickly um, before, I would say, before you ever start actually core group meetings and things like that, have some meetings, get to know some folks and, and, and do some vetting and processing in that. Uh, these, those early days can be some of the most uh important in weeding through some of those that would have strong agendas coming into your, your deal since you're not building an outpost. Um, and so that would be stage one, kind of working through that list to, uh, to start with. Um, then there's a networking process. Uh, you get into the city and, um, and, and it's just a matter of contact, just meeting as many people as you possibly can, starting from kind of places in the city of influence. And, and that means coming to the local kind of city commerce or, um, you know, local organ civic organizations that structure different kind of governmental aspects of the city or gather people or network people talking to the chief of police, the, the local fire department, the local principals trying to, and then asking just like you would a pyramid scheme or some kind of scenario, give me five people that you think would be good for me to go meet and that it would help me learn more about this city, this culture, this community. Um, you know, I think the, the church planting book I was reading at the time when I first got started was suggesting as many as 600 contacts in a week uh, that you kind of work through and go through. That's that's tremendous. That's overwhelming. Uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, set some good, solid goals, um, especially if you're a relational person like me, where you can have some extended conversations and really get to know people. Um, but set yourself some good goals, you know, 25, 30 40 people a week that you just want to find a way if it's just stopping in at a fire department or stopping in at a school and meeting with folks, setting up meetings, meet as many people as you possibly can. And then from that, you'll begin to see people that you can kind of communicate vision to communicate desire to explain what a church is, explain what a startup is, and then and invite them in your home, get meals with them. And from those meals, try to build out, you know, what would be a, some kind of a tangible meeting, uh, initial core group meeting um, is how we did that here. Yeah. And you've clearly given us our next topic, which is church planting as a pyramid scheme. <laughs> Absolutely. No doubt. All right, Josh, following up on that, I'm sure Hunter has some ideas on this as well. When you're meeting with these people, what kinds of questions do you ask them to get to know if these are people that might be interested in not just being a part of a church, but being a part of this church plant? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, you know, obviously, the the, the, you know, away, moving away from our pyramid scheme ideas, uh, you, you don't want to come in with your sales pitch hard out the gate. It's, um, it's a, you know, it's a relational ministry. Uh, it's a people oriented thing. And so getting to know them first and foremost, letting them know right off the bat, this is who I am. This is why I'm here. We've moved here. This is what we're doing. Um, I, I'm not meeting with you to push you in that, in that, on, on that agenda, but um, I'm just wanting to meet and get to know some people around here, identify needs in the community and and just kind of get a feel for, you know, what is Lafayette? Lafayette's where I've planted a church. You know, can you tell me about Lafayette? Tell me about this city. Tell me about strengths and weaknesses, things that you love and don't, you know, that are, are struggles for the city, things that, you know, places where we could, you know, press in and weigh in. And I think, of course, along the course of that conversation, my hope is they get to see my heart um, uh, in what my heart is for the city, what my heart is for what churches should be. And I can communicate back with them, ask probing questions back to them about, um, uh, you know, about what, you know, what they, uh, 
you know, you know how they, you know, when they when they specify a particular problem within the city, for instance, I come back to them and have a follow up question. I'm like, you know, that's so interesting. I've had some experience in the past with this, and I know those are really challenging dynamics. And here's some things we've done in the past, and you know, that's a real hope for us in the church. So you kind of have little subtle hints along the way of what kind of church you're going to be, and then. You know, I, I rarely, you know, invite people to be a part of the, the church plant. Um, you know, in the first meeting, I want a couple of two, three meetings before I'm starting to try to, you know, push them into something that's going to be very weird and and foreign to them. Uh, I want to get to know them a little bit and then say to them, hey, I'm, I told you a little bit what I'm doing. I'm just having an informational meeting. I, I'd love if you just show up and and just be a voice in there. I'm not, you know, not forcing you, not trying to pressure you into being a part of it. But I'd love to you come here about a little bit more about what we're doing with it. And, uh, and that's kind of how we get from, from here to there. Yeah. In my experience, the, and Josh, you were involved the first time around that we started with a, a core group that was there and it was pretty sizable. And so we didn't have to go the route of informational meetings and I didn't have to run around the city meeting people and networking in the beginning, although that did come later uh, with this second church plant really didn't do an informational meeting. There was a very small core group that was in place, but after we met and we began meeting on Sunday evenings, that's when I reached out into the community and started getting to know people and networking and so forth. And I 100% agree. You never lead with selling the church plant. I think for me, I want to get to know them. Who are they? What are they about? Why do they have an interest on some level in what I'm doing in terms of starting a church? I want them to know when they walk away from meeting with me that I'm a pastor, that I'm a shepherd, that I care about them, that I'm interested in them, and that it's not all about what I'm trying to do. It's about what's going on in their heart and in their mind. And I've just found that that's a great way to go in terms of building a core group. I'm interested in you. I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you. I want to hear you. And it's amazing, you know, Josh, I'm sure your experience has been the same, that when we initially meet to maybe talk about the church plan on some level, that it becomes a very long conversation about everything else. And then if there's a second meeting or there's a second occasion where we can gather perhaps a third. I'm going to talk a a bit more about the church plant, but again, I think you're 100% right. You know, pyramid scheme, selling the church plant. I'm just moving in the direction of developing relationships and they may not come to be a part of the core group, but it's amazing. And Josh, you saw this in the first church that we planted you, you have those conversations, you listen, you spend time with them. They may not be a part of the core group. They may not be a part of the church plan in year one or year two, but it is astonishing how often they will circle back around to you and say, I remember the time that you spent with me and how you listened to me and how you talked with me and some of the questions that you answered and so forth. And they will find their way into the church plan. It may not be as an initial member of the core group, and it may not be on the time frame that you like, but you know, it's the time frame that the Lord has for them and for your church plan. Yeah, Murray Lee was uh, was a part of was leading a, a core group. I mean, a, a cohort group of church planners uh, when our you know early days of starting the church. And I remember him telling a story of 
you know, just being convicted early on in, in the ministry where, you know, people had become projects and ministry had become project based and he realized it, it, it had gotten less about people and more about projects. And he just talked about the conviction of that. And I remember being that a really good way in my brain to to kind of solidify kind of some of what you and I are talking about. This thing is not building a project or building a church. You know, the ministry is about the gathering of the churches, the gathering of the saints. And so we, what we're trying to do is gather people who love the Lord. And, 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 and so that's a relational dynamic. And we want to start that the right way by understanding they're not projects. This is not a project I'm trying to get people to convince people to be a part of. It's a it's a relationship, a community, a family we're trying to build. And yeah, it's important that you remember that along the way, because the anxiety of timelines and amount of money support and how long the money lasts and all of those kind of things can begin dictating project-based ministry as, as opposed to people-based ministry. And that's important. So that leads us into another question for you guys. So if you're in a position where you are a daughter plant of a church, you're going to have a core group that is from a church background. They are churched people helping you to start this. When you're in a scratch plant like you are, Josh, is it important to have a churched group of people helping to make up your core group? Or is that something that you're not really thinking about? Yeah, it's a that's a tricky question. I mean, I think it's a there's a little bit of a, a necessary kind of both and to that. I think by and large, a church group can be a very problematic equation in a scratch plant. Um, it really depends on who's there, but a lot of times when you're trying to start from scratch on things, if you got a room, you got a half a room that has a bunch of expectations, and another half of the room that has no idea what an expectation to have is. <laughs> um, there can be some tensions and some 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 sense in which the the two are not together, or they one group feels like on the outside, depending on you know the particular planner's gifts. Uh, you know, some planner's gifts might be towards really wanting to identify with the unchurched, and some might have propensity to kind of want to cater to the to the church. And, um, that could be attention for the planner and for the individuals in that room. And so with, a, especially with a scratch church plan, I mean, we're focusing on unchurched people. We're trying to reach unchurched people. We're trying to have conversations with unchurched people. Um, but I will say we had a few key individuals early on churched people backgrounds where, uh, they have been absolutely vital, um, to this ministry from day one, they have been absolutely necessary as, you know, voices and sport, uh, spokes, uh, spokesmen and women to the to, to the ministry and, and key voices out into the community to bring people in gatherers. Um, you need more that you can't be the only gatherer in the group. And and so it's important to. But, you know, for me, uh, you know, I learned this with Hunter uh, when we when we were planning a church in Madison and I was much more intentional about it here. I'm meeting with the church individuals a lot before that first core group meeting. I'm trying to work through a vetting process of them understanding exactly what we believe is distinct about a church plant, what is distinct about the vision and direction of reaching the unchurched, um, what it means to get this thing off the ground, where we're going, and making sure there's a lot of alignment there um, so that we're we're both walking in eyes wide open on what what this thing is and where we're going and what we're doing so that there's a lot of unity in, uh, in that direction uh, with those who, you know, we would call churched uh, as it is. Sure. I think it's a, a multifaceted answer because different people are going to different places and there are different circumstances. I would say, by and large, it's important to try to have some semblance of a core group 
ahead of time that is churched. But echoing what Josh says, that these are people that you know, people that you perhaps have a relationship with that understand the mission and vision and the core values of what you're trying to accomplish as a church plant. So if you're going to a place to parachute plant, scratch plant, you're just dropping in, you don't know anybody, you know, perhaps ahead of time, you try to recruit people to go with you that understand your personality and your calling and your gifting, and they know what you want to accomplish in terms of planning a church and their own board, and you move there as a team, or perhaps that you have a someone coming with you as a church planner, that you have another pastor coming, or someone who can become a pastor that can help you flesh this out and develop this and so forth. I do I do tend to think that it's helpful to have a church core group, but you really have to be careful because you can have people show up that they really have ideas of what they want. They've been burned by other churches or other pastors, and they want they have a particular vision in mind of what they want the church to be. And if you run into that, if that's the makeup of your core group initially, that can be very difficult and that can be extremely trying. If you go to a place as a planter, if you cannot recruit someone or, excuse me, you cannot recruit a group of people that share your philosophy of ministry, pray that the Lord will bring people. You know, we have a God that answers prayer. We have a God that has told us that when we come to him in prayer to have a faith that will move mountains. And so before you go there, before you arrive there, assemble a team of people that will be praying for you specifically that God would raise up churched individuals that are looking to start a church or have perhaps moved there and want to help start a church that are on board with what it is that you are doing. Now, again, this podcast, our context is church planning in in North America. So we're thinking through kind of sort of how this works in the United States. And that's just key. As I talk to church planners all across the country, the ones that have gone to places where they didn't know anybody, they have said time and time again, it's amazing the people that God raised up out of nowhere to help me plant this church, people that agreed with me, people that understood me, people that supported me and rallied around my vision and mission and the core values of what this church was going to be. So don't feel hopeless when you go to a place and you, and you perhaps don't know anyone. So let's dive into that just a little bit more. So church planters by nature are entrepreneurial people. So they are checklist, let's get this done, get it off the ground. But what's the importance of prayer like you were talking about, Hunter? What role does that play? Because that's not necessarily something that you can put on a checklist and say, check, I've done that. It's all good to go. That project is complete. I can mark that as done. So what's the role of prayer, uh, not just in starting a core group, I guess, but just getting church plants off and going at all? Yeah, I think from a human perspective, from a sinful, depraved human perspective, you know, we'll send out a few emails saying, this is what you need to pray for. We will, you know, sign people up for a prayer list but I know that in my depraved heart that I am like a duck. My, my feet are just 
constantly moving under the water, I feel like, and I make the mistake of thinking, this is all on me, and I've got to do all of this, and I've got to find people, I've got to build this core group, and and hey, hopefully somebody's praying for this somewhere, you know, but I've got to get going, I've got to work really hard at this, and that is such a foolish mistake. It is such an unbiblical mistake. It has to begin with prayer. It has to start with prayer. The foundation needs to be all about prayer. And I'm realizing how faithless I have been over time in the significance and the power of prayer in church planting, and that it's got to begin on your knees asking the Lord to provide the income you need to plant the church, to provide the people that you need to plant the church, and to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to be a good planter, a good shepherd, a father, a husband, someone who has to raise support, someone who has to network and reach out, all the different things that is involved in being a church plant, that it begins and it ends with prayer. Truly, it does. It begins and ends with prayer. I'll share this with you. Just really moved my heart over Christmas was in home in my hometown and my first grade teacher that I just loved passed away many years ago and her daughter for whatever reason knew my parents and knew me and just kept up with me over the years and what I was doing in ministry and church planning and she's um, elderly and she is in a, she's had a stroke and she's in a nursing home and she's having a very difficult time. My parents went to see her. And one of the things that she said as they were leaving, she said, I can't do much in this world, but I can pray. And I want you to know that I'm praying for Hunter and his church plant every single day. And that was just very moving to me because often I think about my task list and everything that I have to do. And there is a woman that I don't even know that well that is in a nursing home crippled because of a stroke in a bed. And every day she is faithfully praying for me. And the Lord is going to use that far more than anything that I can do from a selfish human standpoint. And so Wherever you are as a church planner listening to this podcast, whether you have a core group or you don't have a core group, you're going to a rural area, you're going to the city, you're going to an urban area, whatever it may be, it begins and ends with prayer. And if you're concerned and worried about gathering a core group, you turn to the Lord in prayer and ask him to provide. I've been a little long. Josh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I think if there's a section we need to go long on, it needs to be this one because it's typically the one, like you said, we 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 tend to to give some some lip service to and and intention to and desire to, but it's the hardest one because it's not a like Reed said, one you can a box you can check. <laughs> it's not a task list kind of item. It's something you've got to invest yourself in and consistently so and and, and it's really the the, the, the thing that fuels, you know, the ministry along the way. And, I, and I've had to learn that, you know, we're going through the book of Acts right now on Sunday mornings. And it's amazing how many times the kind of significant parts of the story in the book of Acts are preceded by the language of, and the apostles together, praying and fasting together. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it's something you've got to figure out how to consistent, consistently bring before the congregation, uh, much like our own personal life. 
wise, there's going to be some ebb and flow to it um, in the season of life of the church. But if you're constantly setting it before the congregation, constantly looking ways to infuse it in the life of the congregation, I think it's important. Uh, I, I think it's also important to, to realize that in, in some contexts, it's different, right? If you're if you're moving into a particular area, geographic boundary, we, we thought of for a little bit when we came back from overseas doing mission work, uh, a work in Boston, and it was going to be very much a, a neighborhood or, or geographic region, regional type work. Well, then prayer walks become a very real aspect of, of the kind of ways that you can begin as a church and as a core group and as people uh, praying over and doing that. But a lot of churches today are in particular cities, especially like a situation like mine. I'm the only PCA work in this city, in this region. Uh, it's kind of hard to walk the whole city. <laughs> and uh, you find yourself having to kind of come up with other creative means. We've set aside months that we're going to say this is a month that we're going to spend in prayer and fasting and get people to sign up for days of the week that they're going to commit one day a week for the entire month to spend that day in prayer and fasting and get them to commit to some tangible acts of kind of extended periods of, of prayer and fasting. Um, and like Hunter said, create prayer lists. We created a prayer guide that we laminated and kept on the back table for people to pick up, take home, put on the refrigerators. Just find as many creative ways you can to express, communicate uh, the importance of, of, of worship. And, uh, yeah, you know, similar anecdote for, you know, with Hunters, uh, I have an elder. The first family I met when I got here was Sprague and Sean Williams. He's now one of our elders. They took us around the city, drove us around. You know, from day one, uh, Sprague has consistently prayed for this ministry, for me, and uh, for each and every time that there's a prayer request mentioned on the prayer wall in the back of the room or anything else. He, he is just faithful in, in prayer. And uh, I had to, I, I spent some, he was out of town and I, we went out and stayed at his, he has some place, he has a, la a lake house on the water. And so we were going to stay at his house while he was gone watch his dog. It was a little retreat for me to do some, a study relief while they were out of town. I could house it for him. And I'd done some little woodwork for him. And a, he has a, he's a musician and he had a little box upstairs that I'd done a little woodwork fixing. Fix I just want to go see what it looked like. I was kind of curious. I was going to go check it out again in his music room. And I walked in and the chair that he does his quiet time in right next to it was his worn out Bible and the prayer lists of people that he had written notes in and highlighted and put on there. That's what he sits every single day of his life, sits down and, and prays for our church and our people. And the significance of that kind of and that level of faithfulness uh, and, and the growth and context of the church and the fruit of the ministry he's had here is really insurmountable. Uh, it's, 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 it's incalculable for me to kind of determine the weight that that's out on the ministry. It's, it's the thing you can't see by way of fruit but it might be the thing that is most fruitful in your ministry. All right. So getting back to gathering a core group, we've prayed up. We're continuing to pray over all of this work daily and get prayer warriors on our team as well. What about social media? That's a very prayerful place where lots of people gather and exchange beautiful ideas with lots of thought and concern for one another. Is, is there a role for social media in church planting? Now, in full disclosure, I'm speaking this as an anti-millennial millennial because I, I do not Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, I occasionally will watch some YouTube and that's the extent of my social media. So is that a strike against me if I ever go for a church planting assessment? Is there a social media box that you have to check? 
There absolutely is. Um, I would suggest you finding another occupation altogether, Reed, at this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, I'll give you a funny one on this one. Uh, Hunter and I are planning a church, and we're actually having this discussion, the importance of social media, how do we use it well in a particular session meeting. And one of our elders is just sitting over there with this puzzled look, and it would go from puzzled look to troubled look to puzzled look to troubled look. And I, I'm just watching his facial expressions as the conversation continues. And and I, I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I, I asked him, I won't mention his name, but I asked him, you know, so-and-so, um, you look troubled. Is there, are you, are you understanding where we are? The conversation, something about the conversation confusing or how can, I, I feel like there's something you need to, there's some clarity that needs to be brought over there. Are you okay over there? And he's like, he paused for a minute. He looked down and he looked up and he said, I just, I, I tell you what, I, I, I hope I never Twitter. And that was the sum total of what he got out of that conversation. And honestly, <laughs> that uh, that message has reigned true in my heart ever since. I genuinely, as a pastor, hope I, I never Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. But uh, it is important. And uh, you know, as we continue to grow, I think I think you got to balance. You know, the people are consumed with it, and so you don't want to feed and fuel the problem but you want to use the venue for what it is. That's my personal take on it. And so communicate well, communicate regularly, but don't become like so consumed that you're trying to figure out all of your outreach is focused there. All of your ideas of reaching people uh, is through finding some ways to generate content on every day on a regular basis, trying to do those things because that'll become consuming. And there's so much falsehood in that level of community, uh, that it can become a false sense of security or, or sense of, uh, um, uh, of bringing people in that actually gets you away from the primary way of doing that and, and, and building relationships and pursuing people on a, on a daily basis out in the community. And so, yes, I think you have to do it. Find somebody young who's not an anti-millennial millennial and uh, give them some role and weight, draw some good solid parameters around how to do it well, uh, and then let somebody else do it because you'll go, you'll go crazy. That's my Yeah, fault. so I think for me personally, you know, Josh, I, you would probably agree with this. I'm an extrovert, perhaps on steroids. And so there's a component to social media that, that I enjoy. But I also understand that it is, in many regards in church planning, a necessary evil. And I was under the illusion because of some church planning magazines and church planning articles that you know, social media was the way that you were going to bring, you know, unchurched and de church people would flow through the doors as a result of social media. I, I don't really think that's the case. Um, from what I've observed over time, you see some church plants. Uh, typically, they don't tend to be of the reform stripe that do social media on a level that makes me wonder if they've raised full support for someone that that's all they do. And it's impressive. But as I've gotten to know those churches, and these are in different cities and different places and different locations. And again, all in a southern context. So I might be wrong about other places in the country, but it seems that they're just drawing people from other churches. I don't know how effective it is in terms of unchurched and dechurched people, to be completely honest. I think you need to use it to make people in your community aware that you exist, and that's helpful when you don't have a building. 
it can be a way for people to view your church from a distance to sort of understand who you are and what you're about. But I think that you just need to communicate in a winsome way that we love Christ and that we are a community, that we are a family, and that we hope you will visit. And you don't have to go over the top. It doesn't have to be all-consuming. You don't need someone full-time that's doing that. In the early years of a church plant, the heart of of broadcasting to your community who you are is the core group and the church planner getting out, developing relationships, meeting people. Um, Josh, I, I guess a hobby of mine is I like to read detective fictional works. And uh, one of them, one of the ones that I like is Bosch. It's an Amazon series. And it's mentioned, I think in the, in the show, but it's really prominent in the, in the books. And he says, um, and Reed can edit this out, get off your bleep and knock on doors. That's what good detectives do. And I think that's what good ch- church planners do. Don't rely on social media. Get, get off your rear end and knock on doors. Get out there. Get to know people. Um, so, yes, social media can help, but it should not be an all-consuming thing. Yeah, I mean, I, at, at the end of the day, what I want people to do is when they when somebody has mentioned our church or raises the question of our church, people are going to get on and look for us. And I want them to be able to get a good sense of who we are um, from pictures and the way that we communicate something of the ethos of who we are as a church without being fundamentally, uh, you know, uh, you know, without fundamentally being dictated by, you know, my ministry and outreach and everything being dictated by that. And that's, I think the, the, you know, my way, in my sense, the best way of managing it. Yeah. My brother is not on Twitter. He said, I, he would agree. I hope I never tweet. And, (laughs) but he was asking me some questions about it and I was scrolling through it, showing him different things. And he, I think he looked at it for about an hour and he put my phone down and of course, I follow a lot of pastors because I am one, follow a lot of church planners because I am one. He put the phone down, and he looked at me, and he goes, Do they ever get out of their office and do anything with anyone? Yeah. And I, that was very telling from someone who was approaching social media from a distance. Josh, I want to wrap this up with something that I just, in light of our conversation, I think is extremely important. It's been mentioned, but this needs to be stressed. If you're a church planner, whether you're in an urban setting, rural, city, suburban, whether you have no people that are a part of your core group or you have a small core group or even a sizable core group, there's going to become a time when people are going to have interest in what it is that you are doing. They're going to have interest in your church plant. And I'm I'm going to tell you from experience that when someone expresses interest in being a part of the church plant, your human heart is going to take over and you're going to begin to think great one more person in worship or one more person a part of the core group which means which translates to this thing that i'm doing becomes that more sustainable you also look at that person and you think this is someone who's going to give that means a little bit less support raising that I have to do, or perhaps we can become self-sufficient sooner. You're going to look at that person and go, awesome. Someone that can help with setup and takedown. You need to make sure 
that this is the right person and that this individual understands your mission and your vision and your core values and that they jive with you. It's very hard as a church planner to tell someone that perhaps this is not the best fit. It's perhaps, it's, it's challenging, it's difficult to say to them, I don't know that this is the place for you. You might want to visit X, Y, and Z. Because in the beginning stages, you're going to want to pursue that person because you want to succeed and you want the church plant to succeed. But you must defend the plant and the flock. And so I tell people all of the time, if you're a pastor of an established church, I think it's different. You have a congregation, you have a building, you have a pre-existing ministry. If someone crosses your path that is perhaps a difficult individual or doesn't see eye to eye with what you're doing, you as a church, as an established church, you have the resources to perhaps shepherd that person and spend time with that person and help that individual. As a church plant, you don't. You have to protect this infant church in a crib. You don't want to lose your church plant for the sake of one individual. And that's very, very hard to do. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's the, the, the challenge you, you face throughout because sometimes, you know, sometimes just enough warm bodies in the room makes it feel like the, the work's a little more validated, which means people that might come to visit that might be excellent parts of the group, they just need to see some numbers in the room that suggest that, that this thing's a valid work, right? And so you find yourself, um, you find yourself really kind of struggling with this tension inside about how to, how to weather those things. And so what I would, I would firmly commend everything just Hunter just said with the caveat that I think church planners are hearing this language even more today than in years past when we first started planting. Don't be scared to send people away and to tell them that this might not be the place for you. That The care is make sure you're caring for that on both sides of the equation. You know, if they just, they're a little different, little challenge, you know, right off the bat, first impressions don't always, don't always say it all. Spend some time, invest some energy, get to know them a little bit, but be wise as you do so in making sure that there's, if there's red flags, you need to, you need to kind of vet those red flags out. You need to ask yourself good questions, ask them good questions. And I think one of the best things you can do in church planning is spend most of your time asking really good questions of your people. Um, every question, just more questions, get to know them, ask more questions, probe them more questions, see where they're coming from, see what's going on. And um, rather than trying to sell yourself, get to know them and ask questions. And, and that it'll be a lot easier process for you to kind of weed through and, and process some of those things along the way. Yeah, shepherding them, the best way you can serve them sometimes might be as you listen to them and you engage with them and you minister to them. Often the best way to shepherd them is to say, look, we're perhaps not the best fit for you, and here are three or four reasons why, but here is a church that I think will be a safe landing spot for you. They can care for you. They can walk with you. They can encourage you with the, you know, the gospel. It's as a church planter, never forget that you're also a pastor and a shepherd and that it's your role to minister to those well that you meet all along that journey, whether they end up in your core group or not. I'm sorry, one quick antidote, because it was yesterday's lunch. Uh, I was uh, ended up uh, meeting with somebody and uh, 
So guy that was in our core group, sharp guy, thoughtful guy, but just kept wanting to ask questions. He was very careful in the early days, like how we talked about things. He was very guarded, but I could sense some underlying theological things. And I kept probing questions. I remember having a particular lunch with him that just said, look, man, I, you know, uh, we're, we're never going to be that church. And so if that's something that's a make or break deal for you, then let me encourage you to go find that church. <laughs> but this is, these are the things we're going to be, what things we're going to do. And, and he did, he said, you know, I, I think you're right. I, I think I need to, to, to move on and, and move elsewhere. And so I had lunch with somebody yesterday and uh, he moved away. He ended up moving away from the area and um, just moving on completely because he wanted to be somewhere else. He knew there was nothing locally. So they moved just to get, go somewhere else to find it, to be close to a church. And, uh, that particular pastor and I talked uh, yesterday and I just listened to him refer reference to this new guy that was an elder. And he's just talking about all the things that are going on. And the further he got in the conversation, I said, are you talking about so-and-so? <laughs> Cause I could just hear the problems he was having with the things I was concerned about. And it was remarkably validating to realize it is the biggest thorn in his flesh right now. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, goodness gracious, I get that. I get that. Um, so uh, it's important uh, long term. You can't always see all the bits and pieces in the moment, but trust your gut in some of those things. It's important. That's the last word for now. As always, you can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter or Facebook at Five Points Planting or by email at reformplanting at gmail.com. See y'all next time. The Five Points Church Planting Podcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.